0: So if um, you have a question, I'll be looking up, we'll look up and we'll call on you, so uh, be ready. We only have 30 questions to get through first, and then we'll be good to go. I'm kidding. All right, just for starters, so maybe there's some people in the room who don't know you and don't know Deep Blue Communications and some of the companies you started, so can you just kind of give us a little bit of an early like a intro on who you are, your background?
1: I, will, uh, I won't go too far back. I promised my wife I wouldn't go all the way back to the beginning of time here. So. <laughs> Um, I, I moved to uh, the Capital Region in 92. I'm actually a graduate of Union College Engineering in class of 88. Grew up in Long Island. Um, Vision Systems was my first business in the area, which was an IT consulting firm, based, uh, which is now the Renaissance Hotel. So um, I was down in that area. Um, about 10 years later, um, I became active in a group of, called YEO, and I see some of my Friends are here from that, I appreciate that. Um, And YEO was uh, a great group to help entrepreneurs that had a business over a million dollars in sales. And so um, really ideas came out, I was mowing my lawn, as you remember from that story. And that's where we had some software in house that we decided to spin off into a a new company, which was called Autotask. And so we spun that off. And then shortly after that, I think it was about 2002, 2003, I sold vision systems, I got bought out of Autotask, and I started up a Wi-Fi company. We had done the Wi-Fi at Albany Airport. And so we were charging a fee for people to use Wi-Fi, and so we we wrote a portal software called Wi-Fi Fee. And in fact, we actually hired some RPI students, I don't know if any of the Gavant guys are here, but they were the ones who wrote our original software, did a great job. And so uh, Wi-Fi Fee was going for a while. And um, eventually, we decided we wanted to go national, and the way we thought we could do that best was to focus on hospitality. And so uh, we acquired a small company on the West Coast called uh, Deep Blue Blue Wireless. And so there was five guys there. I think we had about five people, so we had 10 people. Collectively, we were about a $1.8 million company, right? And so that was in 2009. And then from 2009 to roughly 10 years, we grew from 2 million to 38 million was on the last uh, Inc's fastest growing companies. So, Wow, awesome. Awesome. Uh, Brian, could you just tell us what Deep Blue Communications does? Sure. So Deep Blue um, engineers, installs and then supports Wi-Fi networks for um, hospitality is a big vertical. We also do a lot of retail um and large venues so if you ever use the wi-fi at saratoga racetrack that's deep blue we've done monmouth racetrack if you've ever been to legoland uh, cedar point those are some of our largest installs Uh, planet fitness we have about a thousand planet fitnesses Um, all the carmax dealers and then on the hospitality side um, Wyndham, hilton hyatt uh, marriott those are our four biggest brands that were certified all those so A lot of the hotels sell, like a shout out to BBL, for example, we do all their hotels, we install the Wi-Fi. And by installing it, then if you have a problem, call an 800 line, it brings our help desk, which is based here. Um, The help desk is in Latham, and then the rest of the corporate offices is in Troy.
0: So talk a little bit about, you. you, when we talked, we talked the other day, and you mentioned um,
1: you started the first company right out of college, Right. So right out of college, I actually went down to New York City, I was working for Otis Elevator, so I graduated in 88. A lot of ups and downs in that business. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, <laughs>
0: it was there, so I'm sorry. So,
1: uh, yeah. yeah. but to set the bar really low, so... <laughs> but uh, ultimately, I was working in New York City in sales, 35th to 42nd Street, and I realized um, I became the de facto IT person, which I didn't even know what that was at the time, but No one knew how to fix the printer, no one knew how to get things going. So I became that person and I realized, hey, I kind of like IT. And so I decided to get certified in IT and that's when I quit. So I got my Microsoft certified. So anyone knows what an MCSE is, right? So MCSE when it was NT-350, if you can (laughs) date myself, right? So it was a long time ago when I did that. So I was, I think there was less than 100 MCSEs in the country at the time. I was in Albany and then I started doing a lot of Microsoft networks, Lantastic networks, for those who remember that. Um, And then we hired some Novell people doing that. So that was our original vision. So you're a young guy,
0: and you said that when you (laughs) sold it, it, you had 25 employees. How many? How much did you have in revenue?
1: Uh, it was a little shy of $3 million.
0: Okay, so how much would you say like you learned, and how much does that experience and some of the other pivots, even Autotask, and we talked a little bit about that, that helped shape kind of who you are now, your decision-making process. I, by the way, we have some SUNYs connected these students and some SUNY Ithaca students here, and I think they all are interested in hearing, how do I avoid mistakes? So what lessons did you learn, <laughs> and how much
1: did that shape who you are and your like, decision-making skills? So, by the way, you won't avoid mistakes, just learn from your mistakes, right? So, you know, I either, I either win or I learn, right? You don't really lose, hopefully. Don't make the same mistake twice. And so I made a lot of mistakes along the way, um, and, you know, you learn that, right? So Can you get specific? Yeah, yeah, so, um, uh, so, so we uh, raised money originally when I had my vision systems company. It was friends and family. Um, you know, then I, with Autotask, you know, they, they went through the VC route. Uh, when I went into Deep Blue, I did a Tech Valley Angels Network at the time, and so I raised some angels money. Then I did private equity, um, and then eventually I sold out. And, and so I, I would say the number one piece of advice I try and get from people that regardless of which path you go down, if you take someone's money, whether it's a friend, whether it's a business or there, that you want to be clearly aligned. To understand why are they investing in you what is what is the expectation and if you don't have that conversation and you're not in alignment um, there'll be disharmony on the board and so um, I had a lot of disharmony uh, <laughs> on some boards as I was going through it but it it's it's truthfully it's as much fault as on its mind as it is you know the other side because if if you go into it and you're just like well will invest it and someday we'll just make money like your someday could be very different than the other guy that just wrote you a check right so it's really critical to understand that and so i would say with with each business i got a little smarter about taking money to make sure there was alignment there and so again i look at vision systems it was you know i had like literally friends and family and we had you know private people that we gave stock to Um, when i i went into um, tech valley angels network it was angel investors that came in and it was um, we had a preference on money, and so for those who don't understand what a preference is, right, so if, if say, just do round numbers, right, if, you're, if your company is valuing at a million dollars, and someone gives you a half a million dollars, and they have a preference on their money, um, if you sell your business um, later for, you know, um, a, a million dollars in that, they get their money first, right, so... Um, a preference, you know, and obviously a lot of times those preferences might have interest accruing on them. So what will happen is you might find yourself 10, 15 years down the road where that money you took in has now gotten a lot bigger, right? So that half a million dollars you took in has now accrued to say two to three million dollars. So the investor, the person that gave you money, they know if they can sell your business for three million, they get their money back with the investment back. But you don't get any of yours, right? And so... You learn a lot about preferences sometimes the hard way, and so I, I, I did learn the hard way on that. So, you know, I would just, it's not to say preferences are bad, just understand the expectation and make sure you're paying them down. So, it's like a credit card, right? If you don't pay it down, eventually becomes a lot of debt that you will owe, right? And so, um, when I went into my private equity company, you know, because I had a bad taste from preferences, I literally said to them, like, I'm not doing any preference. Like, if there's a preference, we're not in. And, and truthfully, a lot of private equity firms are like, well, we have to have a preference. That's in our mandate. And so that limited a lot of private equity firms that came in. Um, GPB, when they came in, were, was good with that. In fact, when I met GPB, which was a private equity firm based out of New York, um, we were getting approached by a lot of private equity firms. And so, you know, you kind of do the dance and you understand where they're at. And so in private equity, there's people that want to just invest money grow it for, say, five, six years and then cash out at a high multiple, those are not the ones I wanted to do because it's kind of that same preference amount. So GPB was really much more so we want to put the money in. We want to get actually a very solid distribution as we're doing that. But as long as you're growing a little bit, that's that's cool with us. So um, so that's why we went with GPB. They kind of checked all the boxes, at least for us, what we were trying to do. And I think it also worked out really well in the sense that when you have a private equity firm like that, and they all about profitability, well, guess what, your numbers get more profitable, right? You start generating a lot more profits, and then if a buyer comes in, typically a buyer is going to look at a multiple of profits or a multiple of EBITDA or things like that, right? So uh, for those who don't know, earnings before, interest, taxes, and appreciation. But EBITDA is basically, in theory, mimics your cash flow that's generating, right? So they want to give you a multiple of your cash flow that's coming out, and so by having a private equity firm that got our numbers looking really good, our cash flow looked really good. So, you know, it wasn't a, I don't want to say I planned it that way, but I think the stars kind of aligned that when you have the investors, we were in the right position at that time so that when Comcast did come, um, the offer made a lot of sense.
2: Yeah, that's that's a really good point about making sure there's a good alignment between what you want to achieve and what your investors want to achieve. Uh, So building on that a little bit, uh, can you tell us uh, about, as as you looked at taking capital in, uh, how did you think about the amount of other involvement you wanted from your investors? Did you want to give them a board seat? Did you want to have from you know, what type of level? How did you think about that as you sorted through selecting an investor?
1: So a lot of times that's kind of part of the deal that's thrown on you. Um, you know, everyone's first reaction is, I got it. I just need, you know, I want your money a lot of times. Sometimes you're looking for strategic advice on things like that, and uh, I think there's a lot of firms that can do that and bring a lot of value. Um, you know, when we did the deal with our private equity firm, um, it, there was some value they brought in, financial you know, uh, strength there, but you know, a lot of it really was uh, a control issue, right? And so they bought initially 60% of the company. They had control. They needed to have control, even though there was no preference. Um, they needed to have the ability to do things and get it done. And so the, the compromise on that was that they had uh, two board seats. Um, we had two board seats. I'm sorry, I had one board seat and then I had a neutral board seat that came in. And so, you know, you obviously want to have an odd number of people, I'm sorry, they had three. I'm doing my math wrong, right? So they had three, we had a neutral and I was one. So in theory, um, a lot of things that were critical so if you wanted to sell your stock if i wanted to give myself a raise any of those key things that they were nervous about i couldn't do that unless i got a second vote and it either had to come from my private equity firm or it had to come from that neutral board seat and so that was a really good healthy compromise you just got to make sure that person is truly neutral the person we had was he he was actually an executive from disney um who who came through a search uh, randy garfield terrific guy um and so for that it worked out really well you know, having that but it, but it is hard and then obviously when with, with Comcast now I'm an employee I have no ownership anymore so it's kind of changed from there can you kind
0: of walk us through a little bit of this deal with Comcast how long did it take were there other first of all before Comcast I'm, I'm wondering were there other offers that you passed on how did you make those kind of decisions but then in terms of the Comcast deal you know when did that you know who approached whom uh, you know and just walk walk us through some of the details on that
1: So, you know, again, I I love the expression, the harder I work, the luckier I get, right? So, you know, I've worked very hard over the years and sometimes luck does follow that. And so hospitality Wi-Fi became an industry that um, private equity VC money was following aggressively. And so the fact that we installed all the other stuff was was nice, it helped our numbers, but it was hospitality Wi-Fi. And so what happened is you had a lot of private equity firms that started doing acquisitions um, and going down that path. So we started getting a lot of offers. And, again, that's where you start figuring out what's the goal of the private equity. Um, a couple of firms, and, in fact, we had a lot of these offers where you get, um, I would say a kid. I'm 53 years old, right, but someone who graduated from a uh, business school, right, Wharton or Chicago or some one of these good schools that finds money backing and they want to go buy a company and run that company, right? So, you start figuring those out. I'm like, okay, I don't want to do that. I want to be the guy staying on board, right? So, those kind of go away. Um, but when you start getting other offers, it's really just one of those trying to ask the right questions. You know, I kind of said like, what What's in the best alignment with what you're looking to do? And then, even after we did the deal with with uh, GPB, you know, I would still be getting offers probably one or two a week. I mean, that's how much we were getting offers. So, you know, you, you, you filter through it, you look at it, and then I would send them to the private equity firm to kind of let them navigate it. You know, again, their plan was to have an exit at some point, although I didn't know when that was. Um, but because there was no preference, I knew if and when there was an, an exit, we'd all be aligned and that the valuation would have to make sense. They would need my vote to get it there. So um, I think we were in good shape. And then really... You know, when you when you think about it, right? There's there's financial buyers that usually will pay a lower value than a strategic buyer. So a Comcast is a strategic buyer, or a Verizon, or someone like that that says, you know, we're we're a company we're in this um, these markets strategically. We want to be able to go into Wi-Fi, and so by them it made a lot of sense, right? They're 130, you said billions and billions, right? They're a Fortune 30 company. You know, they have 4,500 sales reps around the country, They're the largest cable operator in the country. So 43% of America gets its internet from Comcast, right? So, so what else can they sell them? And so, you know, you think about it where, you know, we were approaching $40 million in sales, you know, they're not looking for $40 million from out of us, right? That's not, that doesn't move the needle for them. But I think you called it a rounding error on the Christmas party. <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, it's, you know, when you think about it, right? So I, I work for an $8 billion division of a $120 billion company, right? And so Comcast Business is aggressively growing 20 30% every year, which is amazing that they're doing that, right? So how do they continue to grow? Wi-Fi is strategically what they're looking to do. And so, um, again as luck would have it, right? They were down the path with another one of my competitors that was twice my size, um, that had done a lot of private equity deals. And you know, both sides tell you different reasons why it fell apart, but the bottom line is it did. And so Comcast was committed to buying a company. And um, so when they reached out to me, ironically the company that they were hoping to buy also reached out to me and they wanted to buy us and bring us in and they wanted me to run the combined company. So I didn't know any of that, but when they- a really they, good self-esteem booster. Well, <laughs> right there, kind of, you know. but, but really what happened is, right, the guys that bailed on the deal or fell through, all of a sudden they didn't want to lose to the guys that were there. And, you know, so what, what happened is we had these two offers that came in. One is the private equity guys actually gave me, threw a number out at me, knowing our numbers and roughly where we're at. Um, and it was a very nice offer. And so I went back to my board and I said, I got this nice offer here. Comcast has not thrown us a number, but- we believe they're a strategic buyer, they could get a better offer. So the board basically said, why don't you go back to Comcast? Why don't you uh, give them a deadline of 10 days? And basically, if they get an offer to you in 10 days, if it makes sense, we'll pursue it. Otherwise, we'll go down the other path. And so in 10 days, um, they did make an offer. Um, it was one of those exploding contracts, right? I had 24 hours to sign it. So the offer was on for 24 hours. We took a quick vote. The numbers made a lot of sense. We signed what kind it. What numbers were they? sorry rick rick's asked me that question like five different ways but it ain't happening how many commas That's tony was <laughs> so um so we were able to do that and then you know the, the private equity firm on the other hand when it when it came down said you know we don't want to lose momentum with the other offer and so they said to comcast we'll sign it but you have 60 days to close with us and so really from beginning to end it took 70 days which is wow. incredible when you think about a company that size getting a deal done uh there so we work through, you know, around the clock getting that deal done. But, you know, on the clock, we did get it actually done um, on that date. And so now my my new title is uh, um, I'm the VP uh, General Manager, right, which means I run a company within Comcast, um, Premise Wireless Solutions. So I report directly to Bill Stemper, who's the president of Comcast Business, and we are the wireless center for excellence for all of Comcast nationwide. And so anything that has four or more access points that they're involved with um, throughout the country now is gonna come through the Center for Excellence which is based here in the Capital Region. And so, you know, super exciting to me, right? You know, it's, it's, it's nice to get a check, right? And don't get me wrong, it's nice to have that. But, you know, as, as you go through deals, um, you really do start looking at, you know, what's your legacy, right? Where do you wanna be? What do you wanna be remembered for? And, and to me, I didn't, going down the deal with the private equity firm would have meant that we would have closed down our help desk, would have meant a lot of layoffs, would have meant that I would have moved to Manchester. And, and frankly, I, I wasn't excited at that. I, I was trying to be um, open-minded with my board, but you know it didn't check any of the boxes I wanted. And so I'm, I'm super excited that Comcast has chosen to grow in the Capital Region. And actually, when you dig in, they've done that in other Markets like this, and uh, there was a market in Ohio that did an acquisition there, and, and those companies that, you know, were, again, were our size have, have grown tenfold, right? So we're, we're super excited in that we, we really expect, and I'll give a plug out for my buddy Zach in the back, who's negotiating a lease for us, right, to expand over in, uh, in, in Troy right now. Um, You know, we have 20,000 square feet. We're grabbing another 12,000 square feet. We're extending our lease there. And so we're super excited in that we're going to be expanding in the region. We're going to be hiring. We're going to be bringing in talent outside the area for the positions that we can't get. Um, And we're going to be hopefully reaching out to the schools, you know, which is why I'm excited to, you know, to speak here. And I'm glad that a lot of students are here. Um, It's cool. The region is growing. We're not the only one. right? I mean, you guys have some, you know, great story what's going on in in Schenectady. Um, there's a lot of companies growing, Troy, Schenectady, Albany. Um, it, it really is amazing. You know, I still have my, my Tech Valley license plates that says wow. Wi-Fi 1 for anyone who sees my yeah. pickup truck. Wow! But, you know, it's amazing to think where the region has come, right, that we're, we're able to uh, talk about all these success stories, of which I'm just one of many in the region. And so, um, super excited to, you know, that I'm able to be, you know, part of that. Awesome.
2: So Brian, as, as you reflect back on your journey at, at uh, Deep Blue Communications, uh, what were some of the key decisions or strategic decisions you guys made that positioned you for this Comcast deal?
1: So, uh, you know, again, just having a clear conversation, I think, to understand what's our exit strategy, right? Um, we were, the private equity guys really did position us well. For that you know I, I again butted heads with my my ownership group right you know um it was a very hard conversation when uh we do a sales kickoff every year in a different market and i remember being um in new orleans i remember calling my wife about that i was like fired up all, all angry but basically i was hoping to get my budget approved and they were like we don't think you're making money here we don't think you're money money here and i was like Look, right, so, like, what do you want and they basically said i need you to cut out eight hundred thousand dollars in costs which you know, for a thirty million dollar company, it just cut out eight hundred thousand dollars of costs—a lot of money—and so um, I was in New Orleans, so I did go to a bar and figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't mowing my lawn that time, so um, but you know we did uh we did figure it out, and and ultimately, it they were right, right in the sense that um, the reason you have a business, and if you take in investors, is usually to make a profit, right? There's, you can have other missions that are associated. I'm a big believer in you know, core values and doing that. But at the end of the day, especially if you take in other investments, it's about profitability, it's about an exit, it's about being able to do that. So I, I think in a lot of ways they, they forced my hand to do that. And I think, uh, you, know, I would, you know, had I had the hindsight to do it myself, it would have been great, but um, they really did get us in a good position to do that. When, when GPB came in, you know again, I was in a good position because we had just picked up Hilton and so we were installing about eight, 8 to 10 Hilton hotels a week. And so we were cranking out Hilton hotels around the country. So no surprise, our numbers looked really good at the time. But, um, you know, sales cures all evils, right? So we were, we were fat and lazy and, and cranking on there. But I think GPB brought a lot of discipline to get us where we needed to be so that we could be financially responsible and ready to take the next step.
2: So it's, it sounds like that private equity investor helped really understood what you needed to look like to be attractive to a Comcast. So they helped position you for that.
1: Unquestionable, right? So now we had audited financials, which we never had before, right? We were were able to close in 70 days, right? That was mutually beneficial for both. You don't, that doesn't happen unless your financials are pristine, accurate, right, ready to go. The numbers that you represented match. Because what happens, right, is you get a letter of intent from a company that says, I'm gonna buy you for this but really it's not it's not binding right anyone can get out of it at any time based on really any reason there but it's it's a gentleman's agreement to say you know we're going to get things done but you don't want to give them an excuse to question what happened and really as they start doing their due diligence and and going down that path every checkbox, every audit everything they went through was um was great even even inventory right they go to inventory counts you know i think we were like 99.2 percent accuracy which it was better than their warehouses, right? So I, I think that just gave credibility along the way, you know. And it's almost like you know, my mom, um, she has a house in the Berkshires, by the way. If anyone wants to buy, but <laughs> uh, so she had a buyer for her house, and you know, she was she got that original contract, right? And she was super excited and celebrating. And I'm like, Mom, like that you just got a contract, right? It's you still got a long way to go, right? They're gonna come in. They're going to probe through your house, right? They're going to look in places you didn't think they're going to go through, and they really can get out for not a lot of reasons, right? If they can have someone come in and say, engineering-wise, there's a problem. So if you've gone through that process in your house, it's not that different than your business. You got to recognize the first step is getting that letter of intent. The harder step is getting to the finish line, right? And making sure that it's there. And, and if you misrepresent what's going to happen, you know, any reasonably good um, audit is going to discover that, and you're probably going to lose credibility, and the deal's probably going to fall through.
2: Yeah, so when, when these boxes get checked, uh, and they're nice and clean, the audit's clean, et cetera, the deal sort of gains momentum, right? It just keeps going faster and faster and faster because the acquirer gets more
0: comfortable with you. Yeah, and less red flags. Yeah, the when as. a
1: red flag yeah. pops up, then they go, whoa, we got <clears> go to <throat> go look even deeper. That's exactly right. So, right, so they, they do the preliminary, right? They look at everything. Certain things they had to dive very deep. But when everything's coming back, if you get that occasional miss, they're not thinking there's a bigger problem, right? They kind of help you to Are f- they to like in the problem. office?
0: Are you watching them do this? Or so what, like, there's – hovering there? okay. <laughs> over
1: There's cameras, what What's that look like? Seriously. Well, it's, if, it's audited, right? I mean, it's not pleasant. They, there is time that they come in. But, you know, a lot of it is a, uh, a Dropbox, right, with a lot of different folders and checklists, and you're going through every, every day. And there's a checklist there that you're, they're saying, this one's good, this one's not. You need to go through and update those. So literally every single day, we're going through the checklist, is this good, is this not good? And then what happens is you get different groups within Comcast that comes through it and they don't know what's been approved, and they ask for the same freaking piece of paper over and over, right? And so your first reaction is, don't you guys have it? And right. yes, they do, but if you don't help them through that, like, it's just going to delay it, right? So every day, we're going back in, we're taking the same contract, sending out to a different group within Comcast to make sure it's there. It's, it's hard, right? It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a marathon, right, for that 60 days. I can't imagine doing it for a long period of time to get you there.
0: So I'm going to ask one question, and then we're going to open it up. So if you have a question, be ready, because this is going to be your moment. So... One of the things I really appreciated, we talked a couple days ago, was the idea that, number one, you think that the goal is to make this a $1 billion unit here, is that correct?
1: So I'll rephrase okay. that as to say we, our goal is to have a $1 billion dollar impact, impact on Comcast business, right? Okay. And so what, what that means is that, um, like right now, we have a very large uh, deal that we run that came through uh, the, uh, the central region. Where, whereby they had 120 locations where they wanted SD-WAN, they wanted um, internet, they wanted a managed firewall, and they wanted Wi-Fi, right? And so they had three of those buckets. We're the fourth piece. So by having all four of those, they were able to get the deal, right? So most of the profits on that deal was not us, but for us, it was a big deal. It's a couple of million dollars just on our end, but for them, it's a much bigger deal, right? So So that's how we can have a billion dollar impact is to have a full suite of products that again checks off the boxes for their buyers. But what's great is
0: that the you know we've had some um, acquisitions in the capital region where after the acquisition the kind of the company kind of evaporates from the tech valley landscape. And what I think is exciting about um, the deep blue uh, deal is that you want to grow here. And but my question to you is about culture and. It hasn't, you know, people who have been with you for a long time, who kind of liked Deep Blue when you guys were a gritty small company, and now all of a sudden you're owned by the business unit alone that you're owned by is like a $10 billion unit, I think. or rough. Yeah. So Close, um, yeah. so how do you merge culture? Do some people say, you know, I'm, thank you, it's been a fun ride, I'm leaving. Um, just give me a sense of how you build that. It's kind
1: of a new culture
0: now that you have to fit into.
1: It, 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 it is, right? So you, you want to keep what made you strong. And, um, you know, core values is a way to do that. And, and in a lot of ways, if you were to look at Comcast core values, other than us being giant and Jet fans, and they're Eagles fans. Um, <laughs> you know, once you get past that, um, they're, they're actually very similar in a lot of ways, even though, again, my Jets lost to their Eagles. Um, I
0: hate the Eagles.
1: So we all do, right? Yeah. So... <laughs> But but, but, all getting aside right it it does change the um, the outlook right and so um, you know we we have lost some people, um, some people that are new to us, some people that have been around a long time you know um, there's opportunities now, and you know one of our core values has always been to embrace change right and and now it 's more than ever that it's time to embrace change and I think there's a lot of people that um, looked at when you have a small business and you're all hunkering down and you're driving things, right, it's this close-knit family that you're there and um, we're no longer a small family anymore, right? So I think what, what happens and, you know, we recently had a town hall um, internally with our employees to talk about them and, you know, I was trying to think of, you know, an analogy that might, you know, connect with them and so, you know, as a, a union college, alumni, you know, I I equate it to, you know, when I went there, they were a Division II hockey school, and and bad at that, by the way, so, um, they, and when you're a bad Division II hockey school, you don't really recruit a lot of good hockey players, right, so how do you, how do you grow, how do you get past that, right, so, you know, eventually you get good coaches, eventually you get a couple of good players that really make a difference, and so when, when Union, six years ago, um, whatever it was, yeah, uh, actually eight years ago, went to the Frozen Four, it, like, got national attention, right? right? This school of 2,200 people that just went into the Frozen Four. People are like, who the heck is this, right? So so guess what happens? All of a sudden, NHL teams start recruiting the guys that got them to the front, you know, to the Frozen Four. Like, who are these guys, right? So a lot of talent disappears because you get national attention out there, right? And so... When you look at us, that's what's happening, right? We're a small regional company that's now owned by this company. It's getting a lot of press nationally. And so companies that are nationally based, that are actually have a presence here, started poaching our employees, which made a lot of sense, right? They're like, how do we get a piece of that? How do we get that frozen fort, right? But but the next part, right? And what I said to my team is, you know, the next year we recruited a lot of really good people and, and union recruited a lot of good people they still didn't go back to the Frozen Four, right? The next year, again, more people, they got a little closer, didn't get it. But three years later, not only did they get to the Frozen Four, but they won the national championship, right, and so, you know, to me, you know, the thing is like, you know, your your son's a perfect example, right, so Zach's been in our help desk, we're a big believer in promoting from within. The people that embrace that, and they see that, and say, I wanna go, I wanna be the national champion, I wanna stick around and do that, to me, I I think that's a good career move. but I think when some people see all of a sudden I can go here for $5 more an hour today, I, I think you're selling your education and your career short, but it, it gets you a short-term gain, right? So so yes, we've lost some of those employees now, and, and so we're, we're hiring. And, and the good thing is, again, because of who we are now, we're able to hire and attract people from outside the area. So I think we're getting a lot of good people. Um, so I, I would say. You know, collectively, you know, again, we're 120, 130 people right now. We lost about 20 people, which, which is a lot. But in the scheme of things, it's not bat-breaking. Um, the people we're getting are great, and we're excited to get our culture back. And, and recognize that, you know, we, we can't apologize for being a Comcast business company, right? right. That's who we are. That's sure. who we are now. And I don't want to go out there and be like, well, you know, we're still this family. Because we can be close, but at the end of the day, we are a Comcast business company. And, and if you embrace that, think about that, right? I, I report to the president of Comcast Business, and I live in Albany, New York, right? Where else can you do that? There's not a lot of companies here that can say you work for, as an executive, as a Fortune 50 company, and, and live in this great, awesome region. Right? Actually,
0: he lives in Niskayunas, Connecticut County. <laughs> <laughs> so. As I do, and love it there, so, so, thank you. All right, I'm sorry. I Rayla hates it when I get so regional, but, or so, like, whatever, yes. <laughs> Lauren, do oh, you want to take the yeah, microphone? Sure, yeah. All, All right, right Lauren, me.
1: bring it up. Oh, Go not ahead.
2: from you. But. Uh, so uh, Lauren Groff, Groff Networks. Uh, I mean, as, as you know, Brian, you know, I always praise, you know, sing your praises. And obviously you, you have ours as well and, and some referrals, which I thank you for. But when I, before I started out, I sat down and asked you, hey, what's this entrepreneurial thing? And he, he warned me. It's a gut wrench. Any advice for someone who even dreaming of, you know, a $10 million company, uh, you know, because yeah, the, the big M&A, you know, some of the advice you have, boards and all that kind of stuff, but just some advice you, that you've learned in the past 10, 15 years that would also apply to the small guy. It, that's yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, if you want to be
1: a $10 million company, you, you have to start acting like a $10 million company today, right? You've got to put the team in place to be that. You've got to start thinking in terms of that, and you've got to vocalize it to your team. And you might have to change some of the people that you think are not are gonna be there when you're a $10 million company, but um, you can't do it backwards, right? You gotta start thinking of yourself as a much bigger company and have that vision out there, and, and then figure out what's, what's the hurdles to get to you? What's your time frame to get there? Is, is there a reason why you gotta be expeditious to get there? Is there a competing person that's chipping away at there? If you don't get there in this time, you're gonna lose? Or can you be patient and thoughtful, right? And then if you can be, You know, making sure that every year you're putting the numbers out there to say, we're going to get there, right? So, we were on the Inc's fastest growing company. Um, This was our eighth year in a row. So every year we grew at least 30% for the last 10 years, right? And that was thoughtful. Every year we would have a sales kickoff that we would say, I know this is what you did last year. This is what we're expecting to do, you know, next year, right? So uh, Mike Bentley, you know, sitting back there, I remember when, uh, when Mike was, you know, running our sales team, you know, we had... Mike came to me and was like, you know, there's, how are we going to convince everyone to do this? And so Mike called it Mission Possible, right? Because people were freaked. Like, how are we going to grow this number when we just had our best year, right? But guess what? We blew through that number because we put it on the board. We said we're going to do that. And so you got to just do that. And then over time, right, your, your team does change as you get there. And, and you can't apologize for that, right? You want the people that understand where you're going. And if you put it out there, no, no different than personal finances, right? You'll never get there if you don't put it out there and say, this is where I want to be and you're tracking it. Otherwise you're gonna look back three years and be like, nothing happened. Thanks. Any other question over here?
2: So when Comcast came in, I would assume there was an opportunity for you to just take the check and run. wrong. What, think about it, tell us about that conversation in your head.
1: So, uh, you know, in, in reality, I was kind of part of the sale okay. and, and um, which was great that, cause, cause again, that's, I, um, I'm not sure I was ready to retire. I mean, I, I, I could, you know, uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at some point I want to get more involved, and I'm, I'm starting to join some more local boards here. Um, but it was you nice. You're in be- the virtual Fun network here
0: <laughs> at the <Biz> Lab, too.
1: <laughs> but you know, it's nice to be asked to the dance, you know, to, to, do that, and, and that was part of the reason that, you know, I was excited to do that, is that. Um, Again, it's a strategic buyer, right? And so strategically, just to give you an example, um, once a year Comcast Business has an analyst conference. And so they had 50 analysts fly into Philly and we're at the Four Seasons Hotel. And Wi-Fi is such a strategic initiative to them that of the five speakers that they had on stage, I was one of the five, right? Talking about, again, not that we're a $40 million company, but how Wi-Fi is gonna change the presence. And so to me, that was really cool that I was able to give them that opportunity. Um, I I think if they didn't want me, truthfully, I think the offer probably would have been a lot less. It would have been a lot different offer um, because they want the culture. They want everything that goes with it. And so in in, in that instance, I I didn't really have a choice. right? I was part of the deal. And and I'm glad because they see I'm still fired up about the business, and I, I want to be involved in the business. Awesome. Last question.
0: So the question is basically, how did Brian see the future so well?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I I, I promise not to cry, you know, but there was a a long road to get there, right? And so a lot of it is when I got into the Wi-Fi space, you know, for example, I was going to do some downtowns. So downtown Schenectady, downtown Albany were actually part of my business plan. Um, Those those disappeared with other companies doing it, taking funding that, in my opinion, was things that we were looking at. Um, And so, you know, you can... And I spent a lot of time working on those projects, thinking that was the vision. And the irony of it is because these companies um, aggressively went after that and did that, I basically said, I got to go outside of the Capital Region, right? I love that I can grow a business here and I can hire people here, but I got to figure out how to go national. And because of that, again, call it luck, right? We decided that, what can I do nationally? You can't really do downtowns, you can't do apartment complexes, but hotels are something you can scale very easily because you have one property where people, truthfully, if they're having a problem, they are gone the next day, right, so it's easier to support them on there, and so a lot of it was trying to find where, where does it fit in, and then again, you know, um, Apple came out with the iPad, and then people answered the question, why do people need Wi-Fi in a hotel and all that stuff, right, so when, when you got a device that no longer had an Ethernet jack, all of a sudden it became clear, and so we went from three employees to 25 employees that year.
0: Awesome. So, we are out of time. Give it up for Brian Epstein. There's a lot of things to thank you so much. There's Thanks. a lot to wrap our heads around with this. And so, um, Brian, you'll be around afterward? You have time? Yes. You have to run up? Okay. Um, so, thank you so much for Brian. I want to thank again our meal sponsor, BSNB, our videographer, Channel Albany. Uh, if you are looking to be a meal sponsor, we have one more month coming up. Next month is our last one. For the 2019 season so um is there a grown sadness that we're gonna uh, um so our next biz lab clarkson lunch is um november 21st and that is not thanksgiving thanksgiving's late this year so that's the week before thanksgiving and it will be tammy cole she's the ceo of uh, docstrats so also documentation Strategies. And she's going to be fanab- uh, fabulous, fanabulous, something like that. So anyway, if anybody wants to tour the Biz Lab, I'll be around afterward. But I just want to thank everybody for coming. I want to thank so much Brian for speaking. And have a great rest of your day. I
2: know it's Parks and not Union, but it goes. Thank you very
0: much.